0: Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the presenters of Dragon Bites and one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales. This week's episode is all about the changes that have been made to the upcoming clinical examination, which has been modified to deal with the whole COVID situation. The Royal College have been working hard to keep some semblance of normality, we want to ensure completing membership examinations stays possible despite the pressures this pandemic has placed upon us all. Two key members of the Royal College have been kind enough to spare some time to speak to us about these adaptations. First, we have Jennifer Craythorn, Clinical Examination's lead for the Royal College, and Nick Schindler, the Royal College's Examination, Assessments and Start trainee representative. They'll be discussing these changes with this week's hosts and clinical exam teaching leads for Wales, Sophie Constantinou and Hannah Davis. So let's get started.
1: Thank you guys for joining us today for the uh, COVID adapted clinical podcast. Um, This is a special Dragon Bites podcast all about the new exam We're basically just gonna be focusing on some of the new stations, um, namely the short clinical, the extended clinical, and giving some general advice and tips for the new exam.
2: And there will be some familiar voices of me, Hannah Davis, uh, one of the SD4s in paediatrics in Wales, and our fantastic Sophie Constantinou, who's our SD3 paed, who's currently out of programme at the moment. And then the absolute stars of the podcast will be Nick Schindler, our pilot exam candidate, our perfect little guinea pig. (laughs)
3: Hello.
2: And uh, Jennifer Craythorne, who's our well, has got the job I'm definitely not jealous of at the moment, and that's the clinical examinations lead at the RCPCH. Very stressful. Good evening.
1: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so just to kick things off, um, we thought we'd just briefly go over um, why the exam has changed um, and what changes have happened. And Nick and Jen, just feel free to jump in at any point. Um, but there's this thing that happened in the last few months called COVID, um, and that meant that everything was cancelled. All clinical exams were cancelled. It was incredibly disruptive to training. And obviously, there's ongoing uncertainty as to how long the pandemic's going to last. So, one of the things that the college have done is to create a new exam, the MRCPCH COVID adapted clinical exam to ensure the safety of all participants and to ensure that the exams can carry on they are going to be delivered remotely. Is that about right Jen? Yes
3: yes absolutely and and we sometimes get trainees um, emailing in wondering you know why we can't just schedule an exam for a later date or you know how how bad is it or you know can't we do some face-to-face and Um, ultimately it comes down to the level of risk that's associated with it, that, you know, if there's a spike in COVID again in the weeks before a scheduled face-to-face exam, you have to cancel it again. Mm. And, and so no one ends up getting exams that way. So the college took the decision that, um, all exams, uh, for the rest of the year would be, um, would be, uh, online and um likely through the end of next year but we're going to keep an eye on it diet by diet and see what covid's doing
2: cool so should we just go through a few of the changes that have been made and outline basically what the new exam is going to be like so there's an amazing document uh, already on the RCPCH website about Um, It's called The Hub, and it's got lots of documents summarising all the changes. So I'll just run through a few of them. So instead of face-to-face, it's a totally remote exam, so i.e. virtual, our new way of doing everything these days. Uh, There's actually no children or real patients involved. Uh, We have role players in communication stations, history, development, and an extended clinical The number of stations has gone down from 10 to 9. And instead of uh, 82 points that we used to get on the old exam, we now can only score 78. Uh, Main changes around the clinical stations, before we had four short clinical stations. Now you have two short clinical stations and one extended clinical. And we'll go through more details later. And the video stations, communication stations and history station are pretty much the same format as before. So whatever preparation we did before still applies
3: to these ones. That's correct. That is the, in a nutshell, summary of of what we've done. So we can all go home now.
2: I made that sound very simple, didn't I? But the amount of work that's gone involved
1: into doing all that is unbelievable. Three months
3: of work that you just summarized into. (laughs)
1: Yeah well i mean it's a it's a very short summary um but uh, obviously we totally recognize the huge amount of work that's gone into making these changes happen um and some of the things that i just wanted to really communicate with the listeners uh just um about some of the worries that i think many candidates had um about the exam going online um and some of the things that i i learned from from being a pilot candidate myself as well and Jen, correct me if i'm wrong um the exam has been standard set, which means that it should be fair in the way that the previous exam was fair. Um, and that although everyone appreciates that it's a difficult time to be setting exams in the middle of this pandemic, there isn't going to be an allowance per se for the exam being done online, i.e. the standard expected of a candidate would be basically exactly the same um, as a candidate in the real face-to-face exam. Is that right, Jen?
3: Yes. In terms of of the quality of the candidate and the quality of of the knowledge that they're bringing and skills that they're bringing, that's absolutely correct. Um, We're telling all of our examiners that, you know, reminding them as if they even needed it, but that (laughs) everybody's human, everybody's dealing with this new technology. So to be patient with everybody. So in terms of being uh, no allowances being given in terms of the standard that's expected, that's absolutely correct. But that you know, if someone has a little hiccup with their their technology or something, we're working with people on that. And yes, we've done standard setting for the new, um, we, we keep calling it the new exam. I'd rather call it um, the adapted exam because yeah. pretty much most of the stations are staying the same in the content mm-hmm. and even the format of most of the stations are staying the same. And the knowledge that candidates would need for the exam is going to be the same.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, with the adapted exam, um, I think the main changes are around how the candidate interacts with um, the various other parts of the station. So I think just for um, the candidates to know in each station, you'll have your examiner as you would have expected in real life. But you will also have another face or screen on your virtual uh, exam format um, who will be the invigilator. And the idea being that the examiner will be interacting with the candidate, i.e. you, and then the invigilator is simply there for timings and it's not uh, like a double examiner or anyone else there really to 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 judge you or be marking you.
3: That's correct. Those invigilators are not medical professionals. They are not going to be medical professionals. They are there to, um, there's no internal communication system in the online practice uh, exam delivery system. So they're there to actually communicate with us, the administrators outside, and we'll be giving them um, directions in terms of when to start and stop stations, so that all of the stations across the circuit will start and end at the same time, and people will move in move on at the same time. So they are essentially the traffic cops, if you will, <laughs> um, of the station, and they have absolutely nothing to do with with you and your marking or anything like that. Um, they're there about the kind of um, the overall structure of the exam. Yeah.
1: yeah, Right. So they are the effectively the knocks on the door that we used to have, but they instead are um, physical faces on a sort of virtual platform.
3: Yes. Great. And they'll call out the time uh, where it's appropriate and let you know when the station's over.
1: Fab. Okay. So they're really there to help us. Um, yes. Yeah. And I thought maybe we'd just spend a few minutes on um, the changes to the clinical examination stations. Um, um, I thought we'd just talk for a few minutes about cues. Um, so Jen, I think you could probably say this much better than I can um, about um, the difference between universal and dependent cues. If you could tell us a bit about that.
3: Sure, um, once we, we go virtual and there's no ability to actually lay hands on a patient, um, and discover signs um, through doing a physical or even a developmental um, examination. Uh, there has to be some way for examiners to assess the skills of, um, of a candidate on the exam in terms of how they're, uh, how they're carrying out those, those physical and developmental assessments. Um, and simply put, cues are the signs that candidates would have found had they actually been able to do a physical examination. And there are two types of these cues or signs, if you will. A universal cue is simply anything that we would expect a candidate to notice if they were in the room with a patient for any amount of time. So if a child had a large scar on their head um, or had difficulty walking um, you know, with one leg or something like that, All of those things that would just be apparent without actually conducting any kind of examination on the child would be a universal cue. A dependent cue is called dependent because it depends on the candidate properly describing elements of the physical exam. So an examiner, you're going to get, when you come into the station, you'll have um, your normal information sheet like you would with a scenario-based station that will provide a little background the examiner is going to kick it off and ask you either to take a history, if it's the extended clinical station, or if it's the short clinical station, they're going to just kind of provide you with a prompt and say, please, take a, um, please conduct a, a focused examination of this particular system or this other system. And as you go through describing how you would conduct that examination, anywhere that you would expect that you would find a sign, so whether that's something that's normal or something that's not normal, that would be where you would get a cue. But that cue is dependent on the candidate themselves describing the particular element of of that examination. So the cues, these kind of cues, the dependent cues, are not gonna all come in one great big bunch. They are gonna come throughout the candidate's description of the particular examination they're doing. So what we're suggesting to people is that as they go through and describe each element of an exam, they kind of pause for a second or take a breath as they move on to the next element. And you should be thinking or expecting that you're going to get a a cue anywhere that you would have, have um, probably elicited a sign. And then the examiner is going to kind of interject and say, you know, here's this information. So if you had said, I'm going to test the lower limb reflexes with the tendon hammer, you know, the examiner might say reflexes are normal or, whatever it is that that a doctor would say in that situation. Um, And that would be your dependent cue. It's dependent on you actually providing the correct element in your your description of the examination. Candidates who don't discuss a particular element won't get the cue that's associated with that. So similar to if you were in a face-to-face exam and you just completely omitted and forgot to do a particular element of that physical exam, then you would never have found the sign. So you're not going to be provided with the sign in the exam.
2: Jennifer, as as we go through, so say you're going to test the tendon reflexes, are we going to have very compliant patients?
3: (laughs) Yes, because these are imaginary patients.
2: Fantastic. Well, that's a bit nicer than the old exam then, because sometimes you'd have a child who'd be like, absolutely not. (laughs) So there's one pro.
3: I can tell you, we have a lot of very, very busy beavers out there working on writing scenarios for these newly adapted clinical stations. And there have been some questions about, um, can we write it into the history or the kind of scenario element um, that the child is uncooperative? So I don't want to say there will never be a description of an uncooperative child. Um, So it might be that part of, of the element of this exam is revolving around a candidate and their ability to kind of calm the child or conduct an examination even if the child is a bit fractious so I don't want to say that won't happen at all but it's going to probably be few and far between um, because I haven't had very many questions about that at all so
2: good at least that's one worry that they can take off their heads then
3: (laughs) yeah and there's nobody being sick on you there's nobody nothing so yes these are And nobody who can cough on you in these scary
1: times.
3: (laughs) Yes, exactly, exactly.
1: Um, Fantastic. I actually just had one question, Jen, about cues. It just came to me as you were talking, Um, and it comes on the back of us doing some beginner revision sessions with our um, colleagues and our fellow trainees here in Wales. How specific do you think people need to be when they're asking for a sign? Would they have to maybe say... I'm looking at the nails for leukonychia, or would they just say, I'm looking at the hands? Do you see what I mean? Or will they get given the cue no matter what? No, I, I think there are going to be
3: certain circumstances where they're not going to be given the cue no matter what, but I think it's going to really depend on the the scenario. Um, and so if the scenario is narrowly written, let's say it's the extended clinical um, station where you're taking a history, your history was probably pretty focused because you've gotten let's say a more narrowly kind of constructed candidate information sheet and your original instructions are somewhat narrow from the examiner. So you take a more focused and narrow history. You don't need the entire medical history of this child to focus on this particular thing. Um, And then in that circumstance, I think that you would probably want to give more information rather than being vague. But we have told our examiners, if if a candidate does mention something like I'm looking at the hands, and you feel like that's not quite enough to give them the cue, you can prompt them and say, you know, why are you looking at the hands? Are you looking at the hands for something in particular? I can't guarantee, again, that all examiners will do this, but this is the guidance that we're giving them, that if in doubt, prompt. Now, remember, prompting is one of the things that, um, that can take somebody, particularly if it happens multiple times, that can take somebody from um, a meet standard to a borderline in some of the domains. It is one of the things that that comes up um, quite often that if somebody gets there in the end, but they required a few prompts, yeah. that, that's going to be reflected in the marks that somebody gets. But that shouldn't stop somebody, you know, and they shouldn't be worried about that in the middle of their exam. You just sort of move on because ultimately you want to get the signs so that you can make the diagnosis, talk about the management plan.
2: OK, well, that's good. So if you've got any more questions on that.
1: Um, I think I think we could probably move on to. I'm I'm conscious we haven't heard anything from Nick yet, and I want to hear from him really. So, do you want to move on to the interview segment, Han?
2: Yeah, no problem. So, guys, you were our first little guinea pigs, and uh, I want to know how you found it. So, let's kick off. So, Nick, how did you feel about being on the pilot, uh, pilot candidate?
4: I love that someone's accused me of being quiet. That's definitely a uh, not a common experience. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I've, I've, um, Jen and I have had these discussions loads recently, and I, I've really enjoyed over the last few months just how much medicine I think that the exam team have learned um, uh, and, and, and how good their descriptions um, have become. I think there are a few of them who could probably give a really good stab at membership from uh, from everything they picked up.
3: Dan Dan is firmly convinced that he could, on a pilot, act as a candidate if need be. I, I,
4: I think that's, probab- that's probably an offer that we should take up, Jen, for the next, uh, the next pilot.
3: <laughs> I'm going to slyly put him on.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sophie, thank you. Um, how do, so, I, yeah, my clinical exam was over five years ago now, um, uh, and I did precisely no preparation for... Uh, the pilot, um, and was a little bit nervous that someone would want to take my membership away from me. Um, uh, <laughs> but um, how did I feel? I, I, I think for me, um, it was my first time using Pratique. Um, it's the same system that um, the college uses for the start assessment, um, which was also quite nice actually because it, it meant that I, I felt a little bit more prepared for for start, which was last week. Um, Ah. and um it it felt doing a lot of we've done a, a lot of online consultation a lot of using uh, something called attend anywhere which which where I work we use for our clinic appointments and it felt pretty similar to that you know we spent a lot of time on teams and zoom and I think we've come become quite familiar with that kind of software and so it seemed to me much more intuitive than I was uh originally expecting
2: good good Sophs, <laughs> so, you?
1: Oh gosh, well um, I've done my exam more recently but I was very very nervous, I woke up really early in the morning with butterflies in my stomach as if I was going to do the exam all over again oh, no. <laughs> but no. um, it was actually really fun I think after the first station was over and we'd got through the how is was going to be will I be able to use it, is my computer going to break um it actually just felt really normal and a lot actually a lot less pressure than the real exam because it was just a pilot but um it was it was really nice actually and I think I I got into it quite quickly and I didn't feel that um it was it really any different it was a little bit odd doing the clinicals at the beginning but really I didn't feel it was any different from the real exam by the end of it I felt like I'd just been through the the exam as, as it was when I did it um, a year and a bit ago. That's really good to hear. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> this. So he's not just saying that because you're here, Jen.
3: No, um,
2: I'm not,
1: honestly.
3: Yeah, she's not being paid or anything, no bribes. I know, I know, I'm gonna get her to do an endorsement.
1: <laughs> honestly, I'm not, I, I have no no vested interest in in, in, it, in it really. Um, My, my intention, for trying to come along and be a pilot candidate was because Hannah and I run the um, clinical teaching in South Wales. So I thought if I put myself through the ordeal of being a a mock candidate, then I I could give a first-hand experience back to our our trainees. So I'm glad I did it for that that reason as well. Well, but this is
3: exactly why we're so happy to have people from all over um, volunteering and helping us because, you know, you guys will take this back and you plant the seeds and and are... sources of information for everybody else. Um, and so this helps us because it's it's so hard for me, whenever I do a big comms push, which is about once a month after we've done a pilot or something big has happened and we're talking about new changes, I can directly target my examiners, my overseas leads and hosts and everybody else, I can get to the heads of school. But for candidates, I don't know who's a candidate until somebody applies. And so there's just all of these trainees that are out there and they're like little blips on a map and I don't know where they are. And so I need help getting this information out. The exams team, you know, wants to communicate with everybody so that there's less fear in particular about the online aspect of it, like the actual platform. So it's really good to kind of hear all of these positive things, but also, you know that people are sharing their experiences.
2: Oh, brilliant. So, let's kick off and talk a bit more about the stations. So, Nick, do you want to tell us a bit about the short clinical stations and your top tips?
4: Sure. And um, so short clinical stations are um uh, the adapted uh, version of what you'd normally think of as the the, the clinical station in uh, in the exam. Um, so you, you have a young person or in this case a, a virtual young person um, and you're asked to examine a system um, and you get your, your sort of piece of paper or in this case your virtual piece of paper beforehand which gives you uh, an instruction um, and that may or may not be repeated by the examiner depending on what sort of they've agreed beforehand um, so my first top tip, and and this I, I did not do in one of my stations, is to read your piece of paper fully, um, <laughs> because actually some of the important information might be right at the end. And if you if you've got to Sorry. that stage of being a registrar where you think it's fine, I can just blag it. I don't need to read the instructions. Um you're wrong um because you'll miss the fact that the child saturations are 80 percent um and that might change for example what what you do um and uh so so i think that that would be my advice for for the face-to-face exam exactly the same please read your instructions before you go in um the next bit um is that um so some of these clinicals will have um uh, universal cues like we were talking before so cues that will be at the start and they might be a picture or a video um, or, or a bit of sort of text information uh, about the virtual young person who's virtually in front of you um, and you get a chance to to sort of process those um, uh, before you go into your your conversation your discussion and dialogue with uh, with the examiner and um, uh yeah and after that you're really doing what you would always have done um but describing it rather than actually doing um your examination so i know a lot of people will have been taught to as you go through your you know your OSCE practice for example to talk through what you're doing as you're doing it and now you're talking through what you're doing but you're just not doing it um uh with with your hands and if you're like me and you're quite a sort of uh a, a tactile person then you might sort of gesture or or demonstrate as you go along um practice obviously it has a video element to it so you can see the examiner the examiner can see you and um, so there's nothing wrong with um for example if, if you've forgotten exactly where uh uh you know verbally to describe uh, the places on the chest you want to listen to the heart, um, then demonstrating on your own chest is probably perfectly appropriate um, uh, to, to, to get you through that rather than panicking about the words if they uh, escape you in
3: the moment. So long as you can see your chest on the camera. Yeah.
4: Yes, please don't take your shirt off in front of the examiner um, in order to demonstrate that. Just, just sort of vaguely over clothing is fine.
3: Yeah,
2: No extra points for that.
3: But if you sit far enough back from, from your screen or where the camera is, they should have a pretty good kind of like, you know, head and upper chest shot of you in the screen. And just make sure if you're gesturing with your hands, you're doing it somewhere they can see because like me on lots of teams and Zoom meetings, constantly gesturing and then realizing I'm not on camera.
2: <laughs> I know. Then you just wish you could video yourself sometimes and watch yeah. it back? It just must be hilarious. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Um,
2: um just a quick question. Sorry, Jen, if this offends the college, but um I'm gonna ask Nick and Sophie, but are the videos of better quality than they were in the previous exam?
4: <laughs> I so the videos, particularly for the video station, have a bad rep. Um I, I suppose this is a good time to confess that um with full disclosure, I'm also the, the RCPCH uh, trainee rep for, for examinations and assessment. Um and I'm coming to the end of my three years, so so I know. Both the exams and the assessment team fairly well, and would not want to offend them in any way, shape, or form because they are all lovely. Um, but, they but we are
3: aware that... of the poor reputation of the videos. <laughs> yeah, so we are not.
2: Well, that's so good. I don't inspired. feel as bad now. Yeah,
4: yeah. Um, so, so I think a lot of effort is made to getting the most accurate and the clearest videos possible. Um, I think people are aware that a lot of videos in the bank are older than some of the candidates um, and, <laughs> uh, and
3: examiners.
4: <laughs> and yeah. and um uh, and so I, I think as time goes on um a big effort is made to update those um will they be perfect maybe not um but they they are there to 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 fulfill a particular role and the advantage of this format of um of exam i think is that it's it, you know it's fair across candidates there is not the variability that that there is with the face to face exam you know we all miss kids and we want to get back to that as soon as possible um but but if um hannah as i think you were talking b- before about sort of uh all those moments that that happen to people in their clinical exams with you know children running wild and uh, and and sort of screaming through the station so you couldn't do anything that element has been has been sort of almost removed i suppose so so that side of things is a lot fairer yeah definitely
3: more After standardized this. yeah and I, I should just say about um, videos, a couple of things. One is that um, for the stations that we had to adapt, the ones that were the face to-face, you know, clinical stations um, that are now the scenario clinical stations, so the short clinical um, and the extended and then the development stations. Um, for those stations, we are working on getting actual video recordings for the particular scenarios that we're developing. We are looking through, we have a lot of unused videos in our video bank um, because they were just not things that were appropriate necessarily for the actual video station. So we're also trolling through those looking for um, video clips that will be appropriate. But these clips are all very short. They're not the length really that you are used to like seeing in the video station. So um, it might just be, you know, um, you're looking for the gate. Um, of a child that's walking across the room back and forth. And you can just click replay as many times as you want, but it's only a 10 second video. And that's all that you need to see. And it's not grainy, it's fully lit. You know, you can see whatever it is that you need to see. So so the point is, is that it, it's not, you're, we're not trying to do the same things. We're not actually putting these longer, like minute and a half clips in and going, okay, now let's discuss this. Um, this is literally just to help provide a cue for mm-hmm. the candidate at the start of the like, station in that four minutes when they're reading their candidate information sheet. Here's this video clip, or it might even be an audio clip, um, or here's a picture of, of this child. Um, and so the video clips themselves that we're using in the video stations, you know, we're constantly developing new scenarios. We're also working on getting new and improved um, videos as well for the video stations and when we hear feedback from people that they were they were struggling with some videos at a, at a particular location or something we review those and if we need to we pull them out so that okay. they don't get used again so we do have an iterative process that's going on of creation of new things you know feedback from the from the current things you know working on and improving
4: and if you're listening to this and you have great videos, either of your own young person or your patients that have given appropriate permission, um, then then I think pick up the phone or send Jen an email um, and say, would you like some videos? Because um, the college are always on the lookout for, for high quality material.
3: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Nick.
4: <laughs> always on message. <laughs> yes,
3: yeah, exactly. We have him trained. Look at this. Only three years, right? Totally on message.
4: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you have a new person to break in soon.
3: I know. I'm going to weep. I'm just going to have to weep. Oh. So, at least a <laughs> little after the first diet of, of the new exam. So um, the yes. adapted exam. Yeah. So, small Murphy.
2: All right. Great. So now, Nick, obviously, after you've read the whole... Of your um, piece of paper for the extended yes, clinical station <laughs> what are your top tips for this station and do you want to just give us a little summary of what this station involves
4: sure so the extended clinical is I suppose a, a bit closer to the traditional long cases that people might remember their professors talking about um, in in med school um, and so you uh, it, it's a it's a double length uh, station. Um, which I think, Jen, is 23 minutes. Is that right?
3: It's 23 minutes. Normally, the double-length stations are 22, but we've added an extra minute to the break in between each station just to account for people getting in and out of the stations virtually. Um, So we didn't want that eating into candidate reading time. So there's still the four-minute reading time, but those breaks are five minutes. So because the double station covers... A break it goes from it went from 22 to now 23 minutes
4: so you get you get a bonus minute for for free <laughs> um uh, and uh, essentially this encompasses so you, you you get your starting information which will be uh longer than for the the short clinical stations but still um, only a page it's still only a page, Never um, only a page. Uh, do read all of it <laughs> um, you uh, will then be expected to take a, a history a focused history Based on the information that you have uh, from an actor, um, uh, and then um, you will have a, a discussion with the examiner about your examination and possibly about your investigations and management of the patient, um, uh, depending on uh, the information that you picked up with your your history. So, focused history, focused examination, um, and that i think gives an opportunity to explore some things in greater depth than than would have been done with um with the short clinical
3: stations and even different types mm. you know acute care could even be worked into this yes i
4: you know i think that's probably one of the criticisms of the 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 uh, the the normal if we can call it that exam format um is that you know it's been very much um uh, about sort of history and examination skills and less about uh, management discussion. Um, and so this has sort of reappeared in 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 that way to to an extent.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I noticed actually because I think compared to the exam the new exam as you, as as it were from uh, August or September 2019 um, we called that one the
3: modified exam
1: the modified exam.
3: Against my strenuous objections.
1: There we are. The modified. Exam.
3: It's like I had a premonition. <laughs> We've got the modified, the adapted. I'm running out of adjectives. We'll
4: have to produce a key that goes yeah. with this to uh, the RCPCH terminology. I've been talking about start a lot recently, and and so it, it's quite hard just to say exam so much. Yeah.
3: Um, and then assessment, and they're angry at you if you've called it an exam. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I kill you.
1: Well, I think yeah, the modified exam um had a slight slightly less of an emphasis on management, and I remember when we were doing the teaching for that last year, people were saying well how how can they have less of a an emphasis on management um you know that's that's what they would that they, they still the candidates still prepared their management parts of each you know scenario um and i I think we you know we recommended that they did that anyway in case the examiner branched into management um and I think that advice probably still stands now.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The um, The decision to remove management for from the four clinical stations um, on the uh, modified exam that was rolled out in September of 2019 was mostly that there was a feeling that it was being rushed, that there wasn't enough right. time at the okay. end. And so people were were not getting a chance to fully kind of show their stuff and they wouldn't get A chance to therefore earn all those marks and so that was you know a hindrance if you will um and so through piloting and other things that there was just this determination that it was too much of a time crunch and so that's why it was removed
2: (laughs) I vividly remember becoming a motor mouth in my last few minutes and just trying to get it all out
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well and and the problem is is that you know you can't have a real discussion if you're like if you have a minute and a half it's so difficult to get everything into that. And so um, rather than trying to squeeze, you know, the time in the actual exam with um, the child or young person, it made more sense to remove that element of it. Um, But what we found was piloting these and Dan, uh, Nick, Dan worked with you, didn't he? Was it you and I can't even remember Winton, Professor Winton maybe? Yes. Yeah on just using teams in a meeting and just running through some of these things, timing it. And, and it was felt that we might be able to add the management back in. And so that's what we um, tested and that's what we piloted and it's worked okay for the short, for the short one, sorry, for the short clinical.
4: And I think Jen, there's probably a really good point in there in terms of uh, tips for, for candidates that that there, you know that there is a there is a mark sheet, and if you've covered something, the examiner might well try to move you on so that you're not talking and motor mouthing about the the same uh, yeah. thing. And don't be put off by that. If the if the examiner wants to move you in a different direction with what you're talking about, then go with it. They're they're trying to help you. Then you know they're not there to be mean. They will be professional, um, and and they will try to be consistent between candidates. Um, but I think most examiners are, are, are really aware of uh, the fact that, that, you know, it's a time pressured situation and that people say silly things um, and they'll try to, to move you on to, to, to pick up more marks and talk about things you should be talking about. So don't, yeah. don't, be, don't fret if they do that.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. It is examiner strategy because they want the candidates to have the opportunity to earn the points in those different domains. Because remember, we're doing this domain based marking. Um, and so that was one of the things that was part of examiner training, um, leading into the modified exam that was rolled out last autumn, um, was making sure that we actually are kind of prompting or nudging along where we need to so that you can then mark on those domains that if a candidate never makes it to management planning, you have no ability to give them a score Mm -hmm. in that domain. So that became more relevant, um, I actually did want to just mention one thing before we leave the extended clinical station and because we're already drifting quite far into the pros of the new exam, um, which is perfectly fun, but I wanted to just make it clear to everybody that the extended clinical station is built on the exact same framework as the development station. So everything that Nick just described about, you know, going through and, and what the sections of that station are, they're the exact same for the development station. So if you've taken the exam before, you studied for the exam, and you know what the process is in the development station, this extended clinical station is not going to be unfamiliar to you. So it's it shouldn't be something that is you know creating anxiety, because you will have encountered it before, either in your revision or if you've taken the exam in the past. Okay,
2: and that's knowledge we can pass on. And these are still
3: skills that you should have used at work, I think um they
4: sorry Hannah um the, you know these are still skills that that you, you you will have done in clinical practice it's not like you're learning some weird new skill just for the purpose of an exam um you're 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 just describing what what you would have done um and I think loads of people will be used to in revision talking through with colleagues yeah. the process of doing something and that's exactly what you're doing here
1: yeah that's how we revised we got the circuits book by Damien Rowland and we sat in a little three and one of us pretended to be the patient and Gave cues, and the other person, you know, when we were getting tired and it was five o'clock and we wanted to go home, we wouldn't actually physically do it. We would just talk it through, um, and that was really helpful for yes. revision. And that's how, you know, that's how I think people will be revising in these um, strange, strange revision times.
3: <laughs> and, and I think that that's it, that's perfect. That's exactly what we've been telling people to do. You know, literally just grab your colleagues, your friends, your workmates. And, you know, run through these drills, do it across the different systems so that you're comfortable, um, you know, doing the exam and describing the exam across the different systems. But again, this points back to how you prepare for this exam really is going to be no different than how you would have prepared for it if you were sitting it in February of this year or if you did sit it in February of this year. All the knowledge and skills that you need and that you're going to be assessed on are the same now as they were before what we're doing is we're delivering it in a slightly different package and we're doing it on a different system. So, And those, those elements should not be a cause of stress or fear for people because that's our responsibility. That's our side of things to make sure everything runs as smoothly as possible. Candidates do have a role to play in making sure once they get accepted to an exam and um, they're provided with information about how to check their tech and, and those sort of things to do that so that, you know, they meet their end of the, the requirements. But we're here to make sure that the circuit goes smoothly, you know, that the the practice system works well. So you just need to do what it is that you would always have been doing, whether it was face to face or in a virtual environment.
2: Fab. Um, we will be ready. We'll get everybody ready. So Excellent. nothing to worry about people. <laughs>
3: So, That's quite
4: a task on yourself. Have everyone ready. Yeah. Hannah, Hannah will take personal responsibility yeah. for all of you. It's being all
2: about ready. the PMA people, positive <laughs> mental attitude. <laughs> so we've <laughs> we've talked a little bit about the development station there, and obviously this is quite drastically different. Um, sounds a bit more dreamy to me, considering you can have a yeah. very non-compliant toddler in this station so um i've seen that there's a picture of tools for assessing the development which our candidates will be given and i just wanted to ask nick and sophie how they found using this new format for the development station
1: um well i suppose i i was i think the one i was most nervous about was the development because it's one of those things that all the little stages you can always get a bit jumbled in your head um and i hadn't revised at all but um i had looked at the picture beforehand and then i kind of went through in my head what the picture looked like to ask the questions and it seemed to work quite well because in the end i think i probably got most of the things that i mean i don't know but most of the things that there were to pick up um and i had a stab at the developmental age so i think it's i think the picture was actually really helpful more helpful than you know the checklists and the lists and tables that you've learned if you learn the picture and the different developmental stages. I think that, that would be really what I I would recommend.
4: Sophie, do you mean the, the picture of the contents of the, the socks box, the, the, the sort of equipment for yeah, developmental exactly. assessment?
1: Yeah. That picture has got like a doll and a book and a, another book, a pair of scissors and a bead. Cups. <laughs> <laughs> All those fun things. It's a shame we don't get to play with them, really. But, um, you know.
3: And they're on the hub. They're on the COVID Adapted Hub, that photograph, as well as, yeah. A list of items that are in the photograph. And um, I think we had an issue uh, that something wasn't actually included in the development station for the day, um, along with, with like the other universal cues, but um, we've corrected that issue now. And so there will be the photograph will be there, as well as the list, and then the candidate information sheet, and then any other universal cues. So a candidate can look at that picture at any point in time if they want. They can double click on it, open it. I think it's shift click actually, and you open it in a new window. So if you wanted to, it's perfectly acceptable to keep that photograph um, of that, of the the developmental toy kit open while you're, you're yeah. describing it. So you don't have to do it from memory because if you were doing it in a face to face environment, you'd have all the toys out on the table. anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well,
2: you tried to have all the toys out, but the kid didn't steal yeah. it. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah. Or chuck
2: it over this other side of the room. So I'm loving this new station. Or, or
4: refuse yes. to refuse to move on from the blocks um, and you have to resort to subterfuge.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm building a tower. <laughs> Oh dear. So that sounds a bit better to me. I don't know about you guys, but I think that sounds a bit more dreamy. So hopefully everybody else will find it like that. So Nick, here's a question. Top 3 pros of the new exam in your opinion?
4: Um not having to leave your own home, uh navigate <laughs> trains, uh, etc, definitely a pro. Um I think uh, the sense of fairness. Um I've a lot of colleagues who are clinically fantastic who uh, have uh, at one time or another uh, failed an exam um, because of, you know, circumstance or bad luck. Um, and I think that variability has definitely been reduced. Um, and I, for me anyway, it, it felt like a a less intimidating environment, because, maybe because I was in my own home, Um, Maybe because um, I felt like there was a bit more time to prepare. I wasn't somewhere so alien. I wasn't saying something potentially stupid in front of a parent. Um, it, It just seemed a little bit more calm and in control.
2: Yeah, you can even still wear your pajama buttons and slippers, and at the bottom half, I suppose. I couldn't possibly
4: comment on that, Hannah. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, just be very careful if you're if you're going to stand up, um, uh, and you, you you've only sort of torso smarted yourself for for the day. Oh,
2: and so, can you think of any pros that haven't been mentioned?
1: Um, well, yeah, I think, yeah, exactly what you've said, the travel stress. I mean, you know, driving for five hours across the country the day before and staying in a slightly dodgy hotel and it being too hot or too cold and the shower didn't work in the morning and you forgot your shoe.
3: Just, just the one shoe, Sophie.
1: <laughs> well, we do, there was, there's an infamous story here in our deanery of a, a girl who went to her exam and only brought one shoe. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> She definitely could have done it with pair of slippers. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't actually know how it how it how it turned out, but I do think she passed her exams. That's good. So there's none of that really. Um, and I quite like the idea of of like I think for me the main pro is that we're not letting COVID stop our training, and that's actually really big like mentally to allow us to just carry on. We've had so many like disruptions, to, uh, you know, every single aspect of our lives. And this is a way that we're actually saying to our trainees, number one, we value you because we're, we're putting on this exam for you to show you that you can gain membership and progress. And this pandemic isn't holding us back. And that's what that's, that's, I think is the main pro. And that's why I was so happy that the exams are carrying on.
4: I think the really important bit of that as well is that, you know, it's also still a really robust exam. Um, And, you know, those candidates who pass this and gain their membership of the college can know that their membership is just as valid um, as anyone who who previously sat this exam face to face. um, uh, And, you know, no, this isn't going to be the exam format forever. We're not going to decide that it's better to not have to have physical venues and and no children because, you know, children are our entire job and, and they deserve to be represented um again as soon as possible that is really important but but so if you're absolutely right in the meantime whilst you know the the world is all upside down um this is a way of ensuring that that doctors still progress through training safely um for for you know uh them and for our patients um to make sure we we do everything as well as we can do
2: yeah and Jenna i just like to say a massive thanks to you and your team and the college for being so quick acting on everything that's forever changing in this strange time so just thank you to your team for all your hard work mainly
3: thank you thank you guys you've all been very kind about this and very supportive and um as i said before we we started recording that um you know i think the entire college but certainly in the um education and training division which relies so heavily on external stakeholder input so whether that is trainees registrars you know parents and children consultants our examiners the question setters the people who are um, you know volunteering their time to help us with pilot exams all of this we're just absolutely in awe that um, you know that that those offers of help have not let up despite everything that's been going on over the last six months um, and in some cases you know we were getting calls from people even in some of the worst weeks you know when things were really spiking. And people are saying, is there anything that we can be doing right now? Do you need us for anything? So we're just kind of really amazed that, um, you know, and, and absolutely appreciative of everything all of these people, including yourselves, are doing to help us, um, to help trainees and ultimately to help kids.
2: So basically, Jan, you're saying what we already know, that paediatricians are the best, yeah?
3: Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I have worked at a previous at a previous Royal college, um, as a, as a contract employee, and I will not name the college, but I definitely think that the doctors here at the Royal college are some of the best around. Um, (laughs) I think it takes a certain kind of person really who, you know, to want to work with children for a living and sick children. Um, and, and so I think that shows through in their kindness and, and generosity of, um, time and energy and, you know, brain cells. So, Thanks, Jen. Yeah.
2: Um, the dwindling yeah. brain cells. <laughs> yeah.
3: I, I think it's also worth saying that, that the college staff are,
4: are wonderful and we're very lucky to have you all. And and if anyone listening to this gets the opportunity to to sort of volunteer at RCPCH um, and, and to meet the, the you know, people who, who work so hard behind the scenes to, to make training and, and examinations and, and, and all the other functions of the college happen, I, you know, I would really push you to to follow those opportunities, um, because you know there are fantastic, very intelligent, very motivated people that 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 make the 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 machine of pediatrics work, um, who who have fantastic insights. You know, as you know, as as much as you know, we joke that that, that Dan could could uh, pass the clinical exam himself. The 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 insights that I think that college staff get about. Uh, pediatric training and working uh, are, are fascinating.
3: Uh, it really has like pulled back the curtain for me in many, many ways. I mean, I'm American. If you didn't know, and <laughs> um, and so I've only been here uh, since the summer of 2017 uh, was when I when I emigrated. And um, so, royal colleges don't exist in the United States, which is probably not a huge shock to most people, um, given the fact that we don't have royalty in the United States. <laughs> So um, and our system, I think of um, training and certifying uh, that doctors are are safe um, is really it's I think there's some similarities, but it's it's quite different. And, you know, it's just a much bigger place. And so, you know, joining a Royal College like this and just learning about, you know, how it is that that someone goes from a medical student all the way up through to becoming a consultant um, who. Uh, willingly subjects themselves to our repeated demands to come and examine for us um, on a regular basis has been fascinating. So um, I think we've started the process early with Nick. Um, so in a few years, time, um, <laughs> I fully expect to see his his examiner application coming across my desk.
2: <laughs> no pressure, Thanks, Nick. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, that
3: goes for all of you. So um, if you're out there, honestly, if you're out there and you're leading you know, in your deanery, if this is the kind of stuff that you're doing, you know, trying to get the word out to make things easier, not in the sense of easier to pass the exam, but easier to prepare for the exam and to reduce the stress and just share that knowledge. Um, and you're doing it with your own time and your own resources, those are exactly the kind of people that we want to see applying to become examiners for the Royal College because the instinct that you have that drives you to do that is the kind of instinct that you know you need to be a good examiner
2: there you go wherever you are apply apply
3: (laughs) Just not right now because we're really like behind because of covid
2: (laughs) (laughs) a new year maybe new year
3: (laughs) if somebody's interested if somebody honestly though if somebody is interested they're listening um please get in touch because we put everybody on an interest list anyway and only open up the uh examiner applications once a year so it's there's no harm in getting in touch now so I'll put it (laughs) aside.
2: Okay, and guys, just bringing it towards the end. Would you um any top tips for preparation for the new exam apart from the amazing information that's already on the website? Any particular books or apps that you'd suggest?
4: I'm going to do the opposite actually, and say please don't pay for stuff to prepare for your clinical exam. Um, a because there's no private company that knows. Any more than anyone else about what's going on, so don't pay for that prep. Um, you know, if if there's a, a you know a local deanery thing, and there's you know you're you're throwing in five pounds to a, to a pot, then that's something. But don't pay more than the exam costs to go on some virtual course. Um, the best thing you can do to prepare is go to work, um, see patients, talk to colleagues, um, and uh, and do your job. Um, and I think that that uh, that 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 stands you in, in, in really good stead. Um, uh, don't, uh, don't don't go crazy with uh, sort of finding things that other people have promoted on Facebook and, and, and throwing your money away.
2: Fab. It's yeah. a really yeah. good point because there's so many people out there or so many companies that offer all this stuff and it all comes at a hefty price. So that's really good for candidates, especially once they've paid for the exam itself. So that's brilliant.
3: And yeah. I come across them sometimes in the darker recesses of the YouTube internet and I'm like, who's this person? Like, they seem to know more about this than me, or at least that's what they sound like. So, um, yeah, so just, you know, be very wary of that. If anybody has questions about how they should be preparing or, you know, they need resources or information, get in touch with the college, get in touch with us, get in touch with the people, you know, your um, local tutors, your heads of school, um, you know, your educational supervisors. There's lots of people who are there to kind of support you. Um, and and check out the hub page, the COVID adapted clinical hub page. Because we do have lots of stuff on there.
2: Yeah, it's become mine and Sophie's bedtime reading
1: every day. It <laughs> yep, has been every single day, hasn't
4: it? That is that is great and also slightly worrying to, to know. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: no, we 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 wanna do our best for our little panickers at the moment. They've asked they've got billions of questions. And at the beginning me and Sophie yeah. had no idea about anything, so we had to quickly Uh, read up on everything we could to alleviate some worries
4: (laughs) do you know it's such a good point I think that people always you know exams cause panic and worry and that is normal you know you're not worried and and panicked more than you would have been uh for your clinical exam just because it is is virtually hosted um it's just it's given you something to sort of hang those particular worries on yeah um and yeah. I honestly don't think that the the format of this, um, you know, it makes you know. There's no one who was going to turn up and easily pass a face-to-face clinical exam uh, that is that is going to to not pass uh, the the virtual version. Apologies, I don't I I can't back that up with statistics. I have no <laughs> references
3: for that. Well, yes, we haven't held the exam yet, but that's what we're telling people. If you prepare well enough, that you would have passed the um, exam that we were running in February. Then you should be prepared enough to pass this exam because essentially the changes that that have you know have happened are not so drastic that it should impact your ability to perform in the way that you were going to anyway.
4: And for those of you with, a, with an education interest, um, I guess that it's worth saying that the, the psychometrics behind this are, are significant and robust, and you know we will know or the college will know. Um, very clearly, if you know there are any particular groups who are disadvantaged by this transition or if people perform better or worse in certain areas, um, and uh, and I know that that will be d- discussed at, at length after the after the first diet. I, I think that's really important.
3: And actually, on that note, um, the the college had made the decision months ago that for UK trainees, um, if you are sitting either a DCH exam um, in October or this MRCPCH adapted clinical in November, this attempt is not going to count. So if you pass, that's great. You get your pass, you get your membership. But in terms of the number of attempts that you get, you get six. So it wouldn't count towards those.
4: Yes, it will count towards your bank balance though. So, so please don't just uh, <laughs> not not prepare for it. <laughs> for, for, for the GMC. It,
3: and I've said that now. Now I'm thinking, God, that, that sounds awful because people are going, oh, my God, it's going to take me six attempts. Like, And they're, they're giving me a freebie. They must think it's going to – it's not. We've done this because we want to take the pressure off of people that you're not going to actually have problems sitting this exam. Um, and then the only other thing you were asking about how to prepare – um, we will be doing a webinar, we're going to do one for our examiners, but we are definitely doing one for the candidates. Um, we need to get through, we're going to run a second pilot um, in a few weeks' time, and once that's done, we're going to turn our attention to um, having the webinar, and all of the information about it will be posted on the COVID Adapted Hub, and I will be sending out comms far and wide to everyone um, that I can think of, to heads of school educational supervisors all of our examiners um we we pass on to examiners because we hope that they're educational supervisors and that they'll pass the information along um and it'll be on that that hub page as well so please keep your eyes peeled and if you aren't able to make it when we're hosting it live it'll be recorded and it'll be posted onto the web um the website including just like um a link to this podcast which is hopefully how most of you have found it (laughs) <laughs> it's a bit of meta there right
1: Whoop. <laughs> yeah. well talking of our podcast we actually had some listener questions so um these are from twitter and to be honest mostly just from our friends um <laughs> in, here in south wales um who had some questions uh just about little finicky little points about the exam which i'm sure jen you've got um in your extensive information on the COVID adapted hub website. Um, so I think the first one was um, what do people expect of me sitting the virtual exam in a nutshell? Just, I think we covered that. Yeah. The
3: same from a candidate sitting the face-to-face exam.
2: When you're ready,
3: you're
1: ready. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there we yeah. are. Okay. I think that one's probably done. Yeah. Um this is from one of our trainees in South Wales. Can candidates take notes during the exam using a pen and paper?
3: So the policy of the college is that no note ta- no note taking will be allowed. Um, and this is primarily to protect the integrity of the station scenarios because these are brand new stations and we're working very hard to develop enough scenarios just so that we can run the exam. Um, and if the you know intimate details of these scenarios end up getting out in the wild, we essentially have to put those scenarios out to pasture for an extended period of time and we can't reuse them again. And that makes it harder for us to be able to continue to run the exams on as many days as we need to, mm-hmm. to be able to have seats for everybody who needs
1: to sit them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we had another question as well. Will there be a bell or a timer?
3: There will be an invigilator. Cool.
1: Who will be the bell or the timer? Yes. <laughs> there we are. Okay. Um, <laughs> simply answered these, aren't they? Um, and then we have uh, I got another one about the developmental photo in the development station, which we know, yes, we will get shown the development photo mm-hmm. in the development station. Yep. Um and Hannah, any more questions from you? No, I think we've talked their ears off actually. <laughs> yeah, I think we have too. Um any any final comments from any of our um lovely Yes.
4: Make sure you have good internet. Have you know, don't rely on Wi Fi, plug an Ethernet cable in, be somewhere with good broadband. Yeah. Um Don't do it at, at work. Uh, and uh, and make sure that you are not going to get disturbed by the dog or your cat or a toddler
3: or your naked roommate running through the room behind you.
4: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, t- t- you know, t- treat it the same as you would treat a face to face exam. You, you know, you, you wouldn't take your hamsters to a face to face exam, so don't have them in the room with you for this. Um, uh, yeah, your examiner's and, uh, and not
3: going to be impressed by you know Millie the hamster. Yeah,
2: Nick, that is such good advice. <laughs>
3: I mean they they might be because
1: pediatricians
4: are lovely. Um, yeah. but don't don't rely on that. Um...
3: don't press your luck. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: I think I think one of the things that I've learned through Zoom as well is that if there's something distracting in your Zoom background, I will be looking at it and I will not be looking at you. So don't put anything distracting. If you've got like a weird sculpture in your house, don't have it like right behind your head because the examiner <laughs> will be like, What is that? rather than like listening to your lovely, intelligent comments on the patient. Yeah. Room.
2: Now's the time to maximize on those magnolia walls. Yes. Yeah.
1: Magnolia all the way.
4: Yeah that's so true i don't i don't i don't want to betray my my uh privileged um position as a trainee rep uh but uh examiners and assessors are are definitely all human and uh yeah they will completely get distracted by your cat on the shelf behind you um uh, or or interesting artwork
3: yeah and remember there's going to be nine of them (laughs) There's going to be nine of them that are going to be trying to figure out that weird vase, or is that a cat or something died on the shelf yeah. behind you? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Not just one. Good point.
3: So you're going to be in nine different seasons, so do you really want to run the risk that nine of them are going to be distracted, not just one? Boring is best, people. And and we really are pressing very hard um, you know, for candidates to please follow the technical instructions and the information that, that you're provided by the college um, when it comes to doing your technical checks, please take it seriously. One of the most important things is we're, we're asking um, everyone who's involved in the exam, role players and vigilators, examiners and trainees, um, to, to do a little what's called a chime test. And um, it's just a little link that we send out and it tests whether or not um, they can access your microphone and your camera on your device and one of the most important things is probably make sure you're doing that test on the actual computer in the location that you're going to be taking the exam because we have had people who have tested a completely different device than what they actually used, you know showed up to examine on and it's like well that wasn't really
2: no that sounds like a rookie mistake
3: um, yeah, exactly. So we put all this information into, there's a lot of information that you would have gotten about this stuff. Um, so please don't feel overwhelmed about the technical information. Um, there's going to be more when placement letters are, are sent out um, with the specific, you know, date and times of, of people's exams. Um, don't feel overwhelmed, just kind of methodically check through it and you'll be okay. Um, but do take it seriously, and if and and we really are suggesting that people try to avoid doing this at work on work networks or work devices because we have so many problems with firewalls.
4: Jen's being very polite. Do not do this on an NHS computer. Um, if 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 you if you do this on an NHS computer, you do that at your own risk. <laughs> um, and that, is, that is not sensible. Also, please use Chrome. Um, Chrome is the 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 browser that is optimized for for practique. Um, uh, uh, just like uh, eportfolio, use eportfolio on Chrome. If you have problems with eportfolio elsewhere, that is because you're not using the right browser. Um, uh, make, make things easy for yourself.
1: Other <laughs> browsers <platforms> are available.
2: <laughs> so to summarize, we need Chrome. We need to read through all the technical knowledge and read all the way to the bottom. Nick, yeah. And yes, please. we need to be in a place of good internet. We need to do the uh, practice test on the device we're using in the location that we'll be taking the exam. And hopefully the rest will go to plan.
3: Yes. And all of this is is either in information that's already been provided to people or will be shortly provided to them when they get their placement letters. Um, So you don't have to worry about like, you know, pausing and scribbling down all this stuff if you're listening to the podcast. Um, you know, you will get that that information. Um, and honestly, it's not going to take you but a few minutes to check these things out. But you should start thinking about now where you're going to sit, where you've got a good solid connection, um, and where you won't be disturbed, and you'll have some, some peace and quiet check building works. You know, if the guy next door is gonna, you know, break up his back concrete patio with a jackhammer for like a week, it'd be a good idea if you could figure that out. The worst thing is,
2: you just know that's going to happen to someone.
3: (laughs) We'll do our best to work with it.
2: Fab. Well, thank you very much, guys. This is amazing pills of wisdom for everybody, and hopefully it's
3: alleviating some nerves out there. I hope so. Thank you guys for hosting it. It's been fun.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say again, thank you. Just basically reiterating what Hannah's just said. But thank you, Nick. And thank you, Jen. I know you've both given up your time to come and, and talk to Hannah and I today. And we really, really appreciate it. Um, And yeah, I hope it's going to be really helpful for all of those of you out there doing the exam.
2: Good luck, everybody. Good, night. Good
0: luck. I just wanted to say a big thank you to Jennifer and Nick for taking some time out of their busy schedules to talk to us. And I also wanted to thank Sophie and Hannah for hosting this week's episode. Hopefully that was some help to the trainees out there who will be sitting this COVID special clinical exam. If you want more information, please head to the Royal College website. Anyway, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.